Today's reading is from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, thank you again, Sheila. Two weeks in a row hearing from her. What a treat, huh? (laughs) Hello, everyone, and thanks for checking out the Disciples Church podcast. My name is Dave Hahn, and I am honored once again to spend this time in God's holy and inspired word with you. If you're joining us this week for the first time, or if you didn't get to listen to last week's message, let me encourage you to push pause on this and go back and listen to that message before listening to this one. And here's why I say that. Last week, we looked at verse one of this very beloved and familiar Psalm, Psalm 23, But that's the only verse we looked at, partly because I'm a bit of a chatterbox, but mostly because there's so much to explore in those nine words. Verse one is the what of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the five remaining verses talk about how God is our shepherd and how in him, We have all we need. Now, if you're saying to yourself, no, Dave, I will not pause this to go back and listen to last week's message. You can't make me. I would say two things. You're sassy (laughs) and you're right. It wasn't a command. It was just a well-intentioned suggestion. We will, in fact, do a short review of verse one just to catch everyone up. Verse 1 of Psalm 23 has two parts. The Lord is my shepherd, part 1, and I shall not want, part 2. The Lord is my shepherd means that God, the king and creator of the universe, has stooped down low to take care of you and me. And just as he knows and loves us, we can know and love him. Because he has revealed himself to us. And he has told us his name. The Lord, as David uses it here and spelled in all caps, refers to God's personal name, Yahweh or Jehovah. And through faith, he, this very God, is our shepherd. And because he is our shepherd, we shall not want. Or as the NIV says it, we lack nothing. A phrase that serves as a declaration and a decision. A declaration that God will supply all our needs and a decision to not desire more than what God gives us. So here's the question. Do you believe it? Is that the declaration and desire of your heart? Here again, we find solace and wisdom in the words of a father who stood before Jesus in Mark 9, who said, I believe, help my unbelief. 
We want to believe these things to be true. Friends, God has shown himself to be the faithful provider, the good shepherd to you and me. We may find ourselves in want, but never in need. So let's spend our time today looking at how God, our shepherd, gives to us his sheep in the last five verses of Psalm 23. Beginning in verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. David tells us here that God gives us rest and provision. The phrases used here, makes me and leads me, are important because they give us a glimpse into the behavior of sheep and the wisdom of a shepherd. God isn't making suggestions or recommendations to his sheep. These words are much more deliberate and purposeful. God, like a shepherd, makes us lie down to rest when we, like sheep, are not wise enough to do so on our own. And he leads us to still waters when we can't seem to find our way to them. Friends, green pastures and still waters are pictures of God's provision and rest. It is places like those that our shepherd brings us to. And from the seventh day of creation, God built rest into the rhythm of what he has made. And as such, our bodies and our souls long for it. But do we take advantage of it? And if so, where do we find it? Busyness is almost a virtue or a badge of honor in our modern culture, isn't it? Do you know that the two most common responses to the question, how are you, are these two? Good or busy. I mean, think about it. Why would busy be our answer to a question like that? Maybe it's because we think we're supposed to be busy. Or maybe it's because we don't truly know how to rest. And we feel like there's just too much to do and no time for it. Maybe we feel guilty about resting and see ourselves and others as lazy if we stop doing stuff. Or maybe when we rest, we don't actually come away refreshed and so we don't make it a priority. Friends, rest isn't just about the refreshment and restoration of the body, it's about the mind and spirit as well. And if our minds and spirits aren't at rest in God, our bodies never will be. The kind of rest our shepherd longs to give lasts longer and runs deeper than a nap on the couch or a family vacation can provide. Though naps and vacations are great. So one of the byproducts of this pandemic we're in is the widespread shutdown of everything and everyone. More suddenly and completely than anything else our modern world has experienced. Even if you want to be busy, it's harder to be so, isn't it? We've all been forced to slow down and spend more time at home or alone than we might otherwise have chosen. And so let me ask you this. In these few weeks that we've had, 
Have you learned to appreciate, even in small ways, a simpler, quieter, more still kind of life? Or have you been irritated because you've been made to lie down? And once the quarantine begins to lift, will some of this slowing down become a regular part of your life? Or are you going right back to whatever level of busyness you once had? One of the things that I've personally wondered during this season of life is what God might be doing and what he might be saying to you and I, to the whole world, really. Could it be that this time is a gift of mercy from God for people who simply don't know how to stop? And that if we won't lie down on our own, God, knowing what we need, will make us. That if we struggle to find still waters to drink from, God in his mercy will lead us to them and make us drink. Friends, let's not waste the pains of this season. Let's instead consider these questions for ourselves and for those God has called us to love. Ask God to reveal to you where you are restless and to teach you how to find true rest in him. Continuing in verse 3, David writes, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you know what happens to sheep who have found rest in green pastures and drunk from still waters? It is restored. And the key to this verse is to recognize what specifically is restored. His soul. Restoration at its inmost and everlasting level. You see, even though he restores my soul is the sentence that begins verse 3, it's connected to what happened in verse 2. And in verse 3, the soul that was once weary, lost, and far off has been restored to all that it once was and was meant to be by the shepherd who made him rest and led him to still waters in verse 2. This is salvation imagery, my friends. And the soul's rest is what makes rest within our minds and bodies possible. You'll never truly be at rest unless the good shepherd gives his rest to you. And now restored, the shepherd once again leads the sheep. But where does he lead him? Along paths of righteousness, it says. Paths set apart from all other pathways, paths that are clear, trodden down, and encourage obedience. Paths that prevent his sheep from ever getting lost again. So God not only rescues and saves that big church word justification, but he also guides us along the paths he intends for us to walk. Sanctification. God saves us so that we would be sanctified and made new. And he gives our souls rest so that we can walk the paths he has set out before us. And why does he do all that? We'll look at the end of verse 3. For his name's sake. It is ultimately for his honor and glory 
that God rescues us, makes us, and leads us. He is after the praise of his own name, not ours. And because we are sinful, that idea seems counterintuitive to us. But friends, that's the deception of our sinful desire for our own honor and glory. See, we'll never actually find it in our own pursuits. Rather, God has created us so that the very things our hearts and souls most long for can only be satisfied in and through beholding him, looking upon him, considering him, and following him, and in turn, him being glorified in and through us. It's the only thing that can scratch the itch. Now, in verse 4 of Psalm 23, things seem to get a little darker. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even for those loved and cared for by the Good Shepherd, life is not all green pastures and still waters. In a broken, sinful, evil world, there are dark and fearsome valleys and shadows. Perhaps that is why the pronouns have now shifted in verse 4 from he and his that we've been reading about to you and your. Because it's often in the valleys and the shadows that we find ourselves talking to God rather than just talking about him. I mean, that's what fear does. A pastor and author who has been hugely influential on me once noted that at the root of most every fear is death. Have you ever considered that for yourself? That no matter what you're personally afraid of, your own death or the death of others is at its center. Whether it be heights, snakes, roller coasters, or your kid getting lost. Flying, water, needles, or pandemics. Whatever it is, our fears let us know what we value most and what we understand to be true about life and death. But look at what David says in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. No fear? Is that even possible? Well, there's one important word in this verse that I think can be of help, and it's the word shadow. Friends, it is not the valley of death itself that we walk through, but the valley of the shadow of death. And shadows, while frightening, have no power. And they cannot compare with the real thing from which they are cast. Charles Spurgeon, who I admittedly quoted a lot last week, said this, Death in its substance has been removed, and only the shadow of it remains. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway, even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite, the shadow of a sword cannot kill, and the shadow of death cannot destroy us. So friends, while shadows and valleys can be intimidating, verse 4 tells us that we don't have to be afraid. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There are just three beautiful truths in that verse. The first one is this. God is with us. Life may not be easy, but God is always with us. I mean, God may not have pulled Daniel and his friends from the fiery furnace, but he was with them in it. The disciples may have complained that Jesus slept through a storm, but he was with them in it. Jesus' closest followers may have been persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, and martyred, but God was with them in it, in all of it, just as he is with you and me. In addition to the Good Shepherd, one of the names of Jesus is found three times in the Bible, as well as a few Christmas songs. It is the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a word which means God with us. And that means when you and I see Jesus, we see God. When you and I hear Jesus, we hear God. When you and I touch Jesus, we touch God. Because Jesus is fully man and fully God. He is God with skin on. And when Jesus sends his Holy Spirit into us, God is with us. And he is the fulfillment of David's declaration, for you are with me. The second beautiful truth in verse 4 is that God walks with us. It's an implicit idea from the first half of the verse. Though I walk, you are with me. And it's the word walk that's so important here. See, God being with us as we walk through the valley means that he's walking too. You are with me doesn't mean he's in the neighborhood. No, our, our shepherd walks close. He walks side by side. And here's the other thing about walking. When you walk, it's hard to stay where you are for very long. You're always somewhere new, and there is always a destination in mind, even if it's home. So friends, be encouraged. The valleys don't last forever. They eventually turn into hilltops. And wherever we find ourselves along life's journey, God's promise to us is this. I'm with you. And as sheep who belong to Emmanuel, our good shepherd, we do not have to fear. Not the valleys or the shadows. Because he has taken on himself the reality of death and walked the depths of its valley. Jesus experienced death itself so that you and I would only know its shadow. He allowed all of the world's evil to be placed upon him so that we wouldn't be afraid. And so that we'd find our comfort in him. The final beautiful truth of verse 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, the rod or staff of a shepherd had two purposes. To defend and to guide. Where predators would attack, the shepherd's staff was used to defend and protect the sheep. Where sheep began to wander off the path and away from the flock, the shepherd's staff was used to discipline, and to guide. 
Friends, God's correction should comfort us because it is evidence of his love and goodness. And it is an evidence that we are his. I mean, what parent corrects or disciplines a child they don't love? Moving on to verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Again, I, I love how the message translates the first half of this verse. It says, You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. Now, personally, I've never had a six-course meal, but I'd like to be part of one someday. The promise here in verse 5 is twofold. God's bountiful provision for us and his gift of protection and peace. Even when it makes no earthly sense to be at peace. I bet it would be hard to be a soldier and sit down to a lavish meal knowing there are enemies at every side. Ready to attack. I mean, who can eat at a time like that? Much less sit down and enjoy it. And yet for the one who belongs to our shepherd, there is a bountiful banquet to enjoy with no reason to hurry or to fret, no matter the enemy or their number, because there is no enemy more powerful or present than our shepherd. And as we sit down at the table he prepares, our shepherd anoints our heads with oil, perfuming us, as distinguished guests, keeping us from spiritual infection and disease and healing our wounds. As we sit down at the table, our shepherd fills our cup to the point of overflow, giving us much more than we would ever need so that we would know we are welcome in his home and to let all which spills over to be a blessing to others. And finally, in verse 6, of Psalm 23, we read, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, being recipients of God's goodness and mercy is incredible on its own, but have you ever considered that his goodness and mercy follow you? That you don't have to go searching for it? And it's never hiding For the believer, wherever we go, God's goodness and mercy are right on our heels and always in view in the good days and the days of trial. In his goodness, God supplies our needs, and in his mercy, he takes away our sin. For how long? All the days of my life, David writes. And the Greek word for all here means all. And the verse finishes, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, the moment Christ saved you and gave you his spirit, your eternal address changed. God came to live with and in you, and you with and in him forever. And guess what the Greek word for forever means? (laughs) The promise of God's presence, provision, protection, and power was as certain on that day as it is today, as it will be tomorrow, and all the days after that, on into eternity. Listen once more to Charles Spurgeon. He said, while I am here, 
I will be a child at home with my God. The whole world shall be his house to me. And when I ascend into the upper chamber, I shall not change my company, nor even change the house. I shall only go to dwell in the upper story of the house of the Lord forever. Friends, in Jesus Christ, we have a shepherd who knows us, who has given us an ear for his voice. And in him, we find our contentment. He alone is enough and gives us all we need. In him, our souls are restored. We are comforted and we find our peace. In Jesus Christ, we have a shepherd who gave his life for us. On the cross, Jesus absorbed death's blow and was punished for all our sin. In his resurrection, he defeated death, our greatest enemy. And he made us new creations and set us on paths of righteousness. And whatever else may befall us in this life, we can sit and feast without fear, guarded and protected by his staff, anointed and with a cup that overflows because our mighty shepherd is the host and he himself is the gate through which all other enemies need to pass. The kind of contentment, rest, comfort, and peace that our good shepherd gives us is magnetic to this troubled world because it is him they see in us. So let's receive these good gifts with faith and gladness and tell others about the one who, in his goodness and mercy, gave them to us so that they too might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Our great, mighty, and ever-present God, Father to Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, who laid down his life for us, his sheep, we magnify and glorify you today. We confess that like sheep, we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. But you do not leave or forsake us. In your unimaginable love, you guide us, lead us, restore us, protect us, and comfort us. Father, help us walk the paths of righteousness which you have put before us. And when we find ourselves in the valley and darkness of the shadows, give us a heart which does not fear, but rejoices because you are with us and you are mighty. May we be quick to find our comfort in you alone. Help us to receive your correction and not shun the very rod that protects, guides, and comforts us. You have begun a good work and promise to complete it. When enemies encircle us, help us to know your presence, to see what you have prepared, to sense your anointing, and to allow our cups to be filled to the point of overflow. And let the abundance of what you have given us spill over into the lives of others, and may you receive glory because of it. Give us eyes to recognize your goodness and mercy as it follows after and pursues us all the days of our lives. And Father, for those who do not know your Son as their shepherd, would you give them ears to hear your voice? <clears throat> and Father, for those who do not know your Son as their shepherd, would you give them ears to hear his voice calling to them?
the faith to believe in him and the desire to follow wherever he leads, that they, like we, would be in the house of God forever. We love you and give you all our praise. Amen. Well, I have loved getting to spend these two weeks with you. I hope God has helped you see new beauty in the familiar and that your life and the lives of those you touch would be forever changed because of it. May God give you eyes to see his love, his presence, and his many blessings to you this week. They are certain. Have a great week.